0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different.
1: I want to welcome everybody to Leadership Night. Uh, This is Leadership Night for December 2022. It's kind of wild that we're in December of 2022. Um, But welcome to Leadership Night. For those of you that are watching online, I appreciate you joining us. This evening, I hope you have a a, a good experience with us. And if you've got questions, please make sure you let us know in the comments, and we'll do our best to answer those questions when we get to the end. Um, A lot of you are veterans of Leadership Night, but uh, we're going to spend some time talking together about a leadership principle, and then we're going to spend about the last half of our time together tonight just um, just doing some Q and A and talking through how does this apply in our lives and what does this actually look like. Um, And so. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get started in just a moment, but I uh, wanted to let you know, there was a topic that I was wanting to share with you tonight that I've been thinking through over the last week or so and doing some reading on, just because it's applicable to us as a church, at my leadership, it's something that I've been digging into. Um, is And so in the month of January, the topic for Leadership Night is gonna be how to recession-proof your company. Um, and that's something I've been thinking through as an organization. How do we recession proof our church and make sure that we can um, weather the storm of a potential recession? What does that look like for us? And so we're going to talk about that in, uh, in January. So make sure you're here with us the first Wednesday of January. And then I think in, in February, um, we're going to be looking at uh, the Enneagram. And so if you're familiar with the Enneagram, Uh, we'll be talking about it a little bit uh some of the pros and cons of that and walking through what that looks like practically and so um, i think we there's a possibility we might even do uh, some stuff that night to let you take the enneagram kind of a smaller broken down version of it just to give you an idea of your personality and and so that's a tool that we use as a staff uh, that's helpful and, um, and we've had several requests from people that come to Leadership Night about, uh, about doing something on the Enneagram. So I think that's probably what we'll do in the month of February. So we've got a couple of months coming up that I think are going to be helpful for you. Uh, make sure that you don't miss. Invite somebody to come join you. Uh, maybe somebody that, that works with you or, uh, or somebody who wants to grow their leadership as well. So let me pray over our time together and then we'll jump into the topic for this, for this evening. Lord, we thank you. Uh, for the opportunity we have to come together and grow our leadership. And I pray that, God, we, as we endeavor to, um, to become better leaders, it would not just simply be about the tasks and, and just what we do and our position and our authority. But, God, I pray that you give us heart of a leader. And, God, we know biblically a heart of a leader is really a heart of a servant. And I pray that as we um, endeavor to serve you, God, we're going to lead better, and I pray as we lead better, God, we're gonna serve the people that we come into contact with. So God, I pray that you would give us that heart. I pray that you would be glorified through us. Bless our time. I pray that it would be fruitful. And I pray that every one of us and those watching online, we would get something out of this that's gonna help us grow our potential and grow our leadership as well. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So one of the things I do a lot of is I talk to a lot of people uh, who are not the boss. Um, I talked to a lot of people who are uh, on staff at different places, specifically churches. And I, I talk to a lot of people who are frustrated about the position they're in because they say, Mel, I want to see all these things happen. And we have so much potential in, as an organization, but, um, but I can't make the changes because I'm not the CEO or I'm not the boss. I'm not the manager. I'm not the owner, whatever it is. And so, um, and this is not a unique problem. This is a problem probably a lot of you have dealt with. Um, probably most of you, a lot of you are not the at the top of the flow chart necessarily. And and even if you are, you remember what it was like when you wanted to you wanted to lead, but you couldn't. And I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. One of the hardest things I've ever done in leadership is when I was on staff at a, a very large church in Oklahoma, and, um, and I might talk about this a little bit more, but one of the most challenging things I ever had to do was steward somebody else's vision well. Um, Because I was the number two guy and it was not about what I wanted, it was about what the boss wanted. And I had to champion his vision, no matter how crazy it was, no matter how often it changed, I had to own it and, um, and steward that vision well with the people that I was leading. And it was really, really, really hard to do. Um, And I'm sure you guys have been in positions like that. So let me just start with this. Uh, There are a couple of books I've read on this topic. And and what we're talking about tonight is how to lead when you're not the boss. And so there's a couple of books I've read on this topic that are excellent. One is by Clay Scroggins. And if you get the notes, um, if you get the notes emailed to you, you will, these will be in the notes. But how to lead when you're not in charge by Clay Scroggins. uh, And it came out probably... I don't know, six years ago, five years ago, but it's a good read. Uh, he's a pastor, and, um, and it's written from more of a biblical church perspective, but it's still excellent. Uh, and then there's another one that's more of a classic um, in business. It's called How to Lead from the Second Chair. It's by Mike Bonham and Roger Patterson. Uh, both of those are excellent. You can get them on Amazon, um, download them to your Kindle. But both of those are really good reads, really helpful in this situation. And and so let me just start with a few principles. The first is this. True leadership is not based on your position on the flow chart. Uh, It has nothing to do with your position or your job title. Um, True leadership can happen at any point in an organization uh, because someone who's truly a leader will lead even if they don't have anybody who answers to them directly on the flow chart. Um, And if we're gonna be honest, Um, A lot of true leadership happens further down the flow chart anyway. A lot of people will look at a org org chart and be like, oh, the person at the top is the leader. Well, maybe, but maybe they just have the title. sometimes the most influential leadership is happening in middle management or further down uh, because they're the ones that are closest to the ground making some of the most important changes. And so we have to shift our paradigm a little bit and understand that leadership is not just about where we're at on flow chart. It is all about our influence. Uh, Leadership begins and ends with influence. And if you lose influence, no matter where you're at on the flow chart, you lose leadership. And this is where people who can be they can be in the C-suite, um, but they have no influence because they have no relationship. Uh, now, they're just a title. They're just a leader. They're not, uh, they're not truly leading. Is everything good, Michael? Oh, okay. Just wanted to make sure. Um, so the, the position and title, which is what a lot of people are after, they want the corner office, they want the leadership position, a lot of times that follows actual leadership. So we pursue that, but the truth is that, that once our leadership is proven in different areas, that's when the doors open for Uh, the position and title a lot of times. And so what we see is this biblical principle that's true in real life that when we're faithful over little things, then doors are open for us to be faithful over bigger things as well. Um, One of the things I've talked about a lot with our team, with people in our church is if you can't lead when you're not in charge, you can never lead when you are in charge. Um, I know a lot of people, they don't want to lead if they don't have a title, if they don't have authority, if they don't have, um, they're not willing to lead this group because it's too small or too little, and, and the truth is, if serving is below you, then leading is above you, um, and so we want people that are willing to lead no matter where they're called to lead at, and I think this is a, a biblical principle as well that God has for us, that we should be faithful to lead wherever God places us. Um, and so, so let me just walk through a few things. Let me see. I've got, uh, I've got six, six principles for you tonight, how to lead when you aren't the boss. The first one is this, and this is admittedly an Oprah-type saying, um, but, but lead yourself. The first thing you have to do is lead yourself. One of the problems we get into when we're not in charge and we have a, a capacity for leadership in us is that we don't lead ourselves well cuz we see the the boss making bad decisions and now it's easy for us to be critical and it's easy for us to get a little bitter and be like man I can't believe they're doing that I can't believe they're saying that why in the world would they and the reality is we're not leading ourselves very well and we're not guarding our own hearts very well and so Uh, we probably are, in that moment, we are disqualified from being able to lead because we can't even lead ourselves in that moment. Um, The truth is you're in charge of your own emotions, your own thoughts, and your own decisions. Um, And this is something that I, man, I talk to my daughters about this idea that, hey, When bad things happen to you, you're in control of what you think. You're in control of your emotions and how you feel. Um, So take responsibility for that stuff and don't worry about the rest of it. But the truth is, even in leadership, um, I'm still responsible. I'm not responsible for the things that happen to me, but I'm responsible for the way I respond. And that comes back to me leading myself well. Um, Everybody is responsible for leading something, even if that something is just you. Uh, So you are leading even if it's just leading yourself, and so you what you have to do is just make sure you take responsibility for yourself responsibility for yourself. Uh, we live in a world that um that we have um, idol I, we've made an idol of um, being a victim in a lot of ways that being a victim is the most the biggest thing we can do is is identify ourselves with our victimness or victimhood and and I think it's important for us to lead ourselves by taking responsibility for ourselves and saying, hey, nobody makes me feel the way I feel. Um, nobody's making me do anything. Nobody is, nobody is causing me to be in a bad mood or to be bitter. I am. I'm allowing myself to be that way. When we do that, it's amazing how our hearts begin to shift. Um, if you don't have the discipline to lead yourself, you won't be able to lead others on a sustained basis. Um, so this is why character is so important for us when it comes to leadership, because character and leading yourself are closely related. Uh, Jim Collins, that many of you guys might be familiar with Jim Collins, um, his biggest book was called uh, Good to Great, uh, but he had another book called How the Mighty Fall and Why Some Companies Never Give In. And in that book, he said this, he said, truly great leaders, no matter how successful they become, maintain a learning curve as steep as when they first began their careers. So what he's saying is the very best leaders continue to grow and continue to learn even after they've got the corner office, even after they've got the position. They still learn as if and seek to grow themselves as if they are still on the bottom rung trying to attain. And this is something, this principle is so important for us to understand that I've got to lead myself well. I've got to grow myself. I've got to learn. I've got to uh, be curious. I've got to understand that I I'm not the smartest one in the room, um, that I wanna be curious about things and have questions about things and develop. And, um, and it's important for us no matter where we're at on the flow chart. So just because you're successful doesn't not mean you're a good leader. Um, there's a lot of successful people that are terrible, terrible leaders. Um, oh man, so many jokes I could make right now, but I'll just stop right there. Um, just because you're su- successful doesn't mean you're a good leader. So the first thing, lead yourself. The second thing is this, Uh, Serve the vision, and I mentioned this earlier. With my pastor in in Oklahoma, um, it was really, really hard at times to to lead under his leadership. Um, But what I had to keep doing is going back to the vision. Okay, what are we really all about? Okay, that's what I'm doing. Um, When leaders can be hard to follow, focus on the vision. Uh, The vision will help you serve your clients, your customers, your patients, whatever it might be better. I worked for, uh, about two years as a corporate recruiter and, um, and it was, let me think 2007 and 2008. So I don't know if you guys remember 2007 and 2008 from an economic perspective, there was not a whole lot of hiring going on in 2008, especially does anybody remember the housing market bust and everything and people were laying off and, um, And our company started to get a little gimmicky about things and sort of put a lot of pressure on and because it was a sales environment is really what it was. Um, But but what I had to do is understand, hey, what is my role? Is my role to make money? And that was part of it. I got to pay my bills. But I had to focus on, okay, the vision here is I'm going to help employers find great employees and I'm going to help job seekers find their dream job. Like That's what I'm really after. And it made it so much easier for me to do my job when I di- tried to divorce myself with the pressure of, hey, I've got bills and deadlines and I've got my regional manager breathing down my neck. And instead I'm going to focus on, man, I'm going to help my client find a job that they've dreamed about finding. Hey, this this guy's been laid off, but he is Um, he's got all these skills that make him hireable and I'm going to help him find his dream job. I'm going to make him, his life better. I'm going to make his family's life better. And it was amazing how my heart toward my job and toward my bosses shifted whenever I could focus on what was really important and what really matters. And so if you're in a position where you find yourself getting bitter about your boss, you find yourself getting frustrated with your supervisor and you feel like there's nothing you could do, this is the moment when you go, okay, I'm gonna shift my focus from the person who's leading me. I'm, not, I'm gonna begin to focus on the vision. What, what, what is it that really, really matters in my role? Uh, what is it that we're really trying to accomplish? Um, and it might be really hard. Obviously, in a church, it should be easier. In a nonprofit, it should be easier. Uh, but I would venture to guess that in any of your roles, you can find something that you can go, okay, hey, I can focus on this, and it's going to make what I'm doing a little easier. Instead of focusing on um, <laughs> my, my supervisor, the um, antagonist of this story, I'm going to focus on... Um, on the good, I'm gonna focus on the vision. So serve the vision really well. Figure out what the vision is in your role and serve that vision. Third thing is this, be positive. Um, Again, this is so easy to say but it's hard to do and just begin to remove negative responses from your vocabulary and from your mind. Just begin to delete those out of existence. So you're not even tempted to say things or respond to things. Um, when coworkers, you know, you have the meeting after the meeting and people are like, Oh, I can't believe they're saying this again. Like begin to delete those responses from your heart and from your mind so that you don't even engage in that stuff, but be positive. Um, great leaders lead up the flow chart with the right motivation. So here's what's important. Um, you can lead up the flow chart. So if you're in the second chair, if you're not the boss, you can lead your boss, but you have to have the right motivation by it. If your motivation is manipulation, it's going to blow up in your face. But if your motivation is, "I want to help us get better, I want to help him get better, I want to help her get better," um, then there's ways that you can lead up the flow chart, and we can talk more about that in a minute. Um, but, but great leaders aren't concerned with I don't have the corner office so I can't lead, a great leader will say, hey, I can influence my supervisor, I can influence the person above me um, in the right way with the right heart and the right motivation. Um, Marcus Buckingham, said in his book, the one thing you need to know about great managing, great leading and sustained individual success. Marcus Buckingham has the smallest, shortest titles for his books, by the way. Uh, the, the, his book was the one thing you need to know about great managing, great leading and sustained, sustained individual success. The one thing you need to know about all this stuff. Anyway, he said this, find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. I love that. Find the most generous explanation for the other's behavior and believe it. Choose to believe the best about the person who's leading you. Um, Choose to believe the best about the person you're you're serving with, you're working with. Um, Sometimes we talk about this in the context of marriage, and we'll talk about the most important thing. In my opinion, one of the most important things you can give your spouse in a marriage is grace, that you extend a high level of grace to them, that you choose to believe the best instead of the worst. And and this is the same in any relationship really, but especially in a relationship that can be an antagonistic relationship like with a boss or a supervisor that you have to choose to believe the very best. Um, I used to get so angry in traffic. Did anybody else get like a little bit frustrated in traffic from time to time? There's like two pagans in the room and just, okay, me and, okay, a couple of you. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> We're going to give an invitation in just a minute for people who get angry in traffic. So one of the things that helped me, honestly, um, years ago, I would, I, I, I competed against myself. I wanted to make the best time anywhere I would go. Like I knew, okay, normally it takes me 17. I bet I can make it in 16. Like I knew, right? And I don't know why I did it. It was just an idiot guy thing. Um, so one day I got cut off in traffic and I was so mad because I was like, how dare they? I can't believe it was like the typical kind of stuff. And I felt like the Holy Spirit checked my heart and was like, you have no idea what's going on in that vehicle. Like you have no idea what's happening in that car. They could have a child who was in an accident laying in the back seat and they're trying to get to the hospital. And honestly, it was like the Holy Spirit punched me in the gut. and I was like, oh, gosh. Okay, you're right, fine. I have no idea what's going on. So I, this goes back to the thing, I can't control what happens to me, but I control my response. So this is where I would just said, you know what, I'm gonna control my response. Uh, I'm not gonna let them ruin my morning or my day. And I'm gonna choose to believe the best about them instead of the worst. Because what do we do? We immediately go, this person is evil. They're horrible. And they were sent by Satan himself to cut me off in traffic to ruin my day, right? Man, my boss, he is out to get me. I've heard people say that before. And what if instead of saying my boss is out to get me, maybe we can understand the whole story and go, you know what, maybe he's in a horrible marriage and he's just fighting for survival in his marriage and he just came from a fight with his wife and he comes to the office and he takes it out on me. Should he? No, but then you've got some grace. Um, I've told this story before and you probably have read it, but Stephen Covey wrote in um, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He was talking about paradigm shifts and I'm going to butcher this story, but basically he was talking about this day he was on the train, I believe it was in New York City, and it was a Sunday afternoon, it was peaceful, he was reading the paper, and this man and his three kids get on the train, and they're acting the fools, and the man wasn't doing anything, he was ignoring his kids, and his kids are being disruptive, and all the people on the train are making eye contact, like, who's going to say something about these crazy kids? And finally, Stephen Covey speaks up, and he says, excuse me, sir, I don't know if you noticed, but your kids are kind of disrupting things, and kind of causing a, a, a ruckus and the man apologized and he said, I'm so sorry. And we just came from the hospital. My wife just passed away, they lost their mother and I'm sure they just don't know how to act. So please, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And he just said at that moment, like my my whole perspective changed. And it doesn't necessarily take something like that happening for us to change our perspective. If we will be disciplined enough to change our perspective ourselves, we can we can change the narrative for ourselves and go, "Hey, I don't have any idea what my boss is dealing with." So instead of believing the best, I'm gonna uh, the worst. I'm gonna believe the best. Um, I'm gonna believe that they're not evil, that they're not horrible, they're not out to get me. Uh, but something's going on in their lives, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna do my best to treat them with respect. Um, and really, this is probably a good. This is probably a good behavior for all of us in the world generally, whether it comes to uh, our boss or politics or whatever it might be. Our world would probably be a little better if we would just do that. So the third thing was be positive. The fourth thing is this, take action. Um, Don't let frustration with what you can't do keep you from what you can do. And here's what happens a lot of times. We get frustrated about what we don't see. Well, I don't see this happening and this and this and this. And then we just mail it in. We're done. Like, forget it. I'm not doing anything else. And why even bother? And that's the attitude we take. But we stop focusing on what we can do and what we can get done. So I would encourage you, um, don't focus on what can't be done. Focus on what can be done. Uh, it's easy to fall to passivity uh, when we work for somebody else. Um, I've talked to a lot of pastors. I've talked to a lot of bosses who get frustrated because they're like, I don't understand why my team doesn't work as hard as I do like, well, I understand because you have more buy-in. You know the vision better than anybody else, right? Like you're at the top of the flow chart. and You understand and you get it. Nobody else does. So you can't expect them to work as hard as you do because the reality is I never worked as hard for a pastor as I do right now. Um, and probably a lot of you guys are the same way that when you became the boss or the department leader or whatever, you started working harder. It's like, oh my gosh, we got stuff that needs to get done. You understood the vision, the truth is people down the flowchart just don't work as hard typically as we do. Um, and it's easy to default to passivity when we work for somebody else. And so it's, it's important for us to just understand that at times and even understand when I'm working for somebody else, it's easy for me just to go, well, I can't. And I would if I was the boss, but I can't. But there's a lot of things we can do even if we're not the boss. So think of, think of your role as an owner instead of an employee. Um, owners will go to great lengths to protect their companies. Uh, a hired hand will go to great lengths to protect their job. Uh, and that is a big difference. And it's important for you, no matter where you're at in the flow chart, to begin to, to look at your role as an owner and then not as an employee, as a, as a shareholder. Um, because again, shareholders have different levels of buy-in than employees do. Um, great leaders know what their bosses want and what's important to them. Um, And sometimes this comes with time. The staff that have been with me the longest here at Summit, they know me well. And for the most part, they can say, oh, Mel will love that, or Mel will hate that. They know, because they've been around me. Uh, And they're good leaders, so they can identify, oh, here's what I know Mel would want to do, and we're going to do it this way. Well, most of the time, they don't even have to ask me. Sometimes they do, like if they decide they want to paint a wall or do something. And sometimes I want them to run that by me first. But um, I always want our team to default to action. And one of the ways they can default to action is by feeling like they are owners and not just employees. So take action. Number five, ask, how can we make it better? So instead of saying, the boss needs to be doing this and this and this, um, take ownership, right? And say, how can we collectively make this better? So the difference between um, this question and a critical attitude is our motivation. What is my motivation? Is my motivation just to criticize the leadership because they're doing it wrong? Or is my motivation to make the organization better? Um, cause if my, org- if my focus and my attitude, my motivation really is to make the organization better, it's going to ask this question. How can we collectively get better? Um, Something we talk about around here a lot is this, that um, excellence and perfection are not the same, that you can be excellent without being perfect. And sometimes when we're not in the first seat, it's hard for us to see that because sometimes we are critical about perfection. Well, they didn't get this right or this right or this right, uh, but we have to keep coming back to, hey, can we, can we get better? Can we be excellent? Because we're never, ever going to achieve perfection. Um, good leaders are constantly looking for ways to improve. Um, my best staff are the ones that are offering suggestions on, hey, we're doing it this way, but what if we did it that way? Hey, what if we shifted this? Hey, have you ever thought about? Um, and so it's important for us to be thinking along those lines. and for you, if you're not on at the top of the flow chart to start asking yourself, how can I contribute to the organization beyond what my beyond what my specific job description is um, so Let me say this too while I'm thinking of that. Um, The most important thing you can do for your company, for your organization, is to excel at what you were hired for. Um, One of the dangers is that we go to work for a company or an organization because we like them, but we don't really love the job. And now we always want this other job. And you'll never get the other job if you don't do your job well. And so I tell people, that are like, oh, well, yeah, I'm this youth pastor at this church, but I really want to, it's like, we'll excel at what you are hired for. If you will do that well, then other opportunities will come up. But with that said, I think we excel at what we are hired to do, but I think we still have an eye of, a, of a, um, an owner that we look at things from, a, not in a critical way that we're going to criticize, but in a critical way where we go, hey, how can we make this better? Um, the closer you are to the problem, the more likely you are to have the solution. So the, the, the people that are on the ground floor, that are on the production floor, that are, you know, in the, in the room making the sales, they're, those are the people that are going to have solutions to a lot of problems. And sometimes the further we get away from that, the harder it is for us to see what those solutions are. Um, so I would encourage you, if you're at that level— be willing to talk to your supervisors about, hey, here's things we can do better. Here's how we can make it better. And if you're further up the flow chart, be humble enough to ask for um, the solutions from the people that are are doing the work. My team usually does a pretty good job of this. Never present a problem without a solution. Drives me crazy when somebody comes to me and goes, you know, this really stinks and that we shouldn't be doing it this way. Great, how should we be doing it? Well, I don't know. And usually our staff doesn't do that, but we've got people in our church that'll do that all the time. Like, we really need to be doing this. Hey, why don't you help us do that? Oh, no, no, no. You can do that. That's why we pay you, but I shouldn't be. So don't be the person that takes problems to your boss that doesn't have a solution. If you bring them a problem, um, bring them a solution, or at the very least, offer your help with a solution. Um, The more challenging the conversation the more private it should be. So when you're having those conversations about how can we make this better, the, the harder that conversation, and you know what, uh, when it's going to be hard and when it's going to be easy. And, and you probably in your heart will know, hey, is this one we should step to the back room and talk privately? Or is this one that we can, you know, be in the conference room with everybody around and talk through this together? Uh, but the more challenging, the harder it is, maybe the, for your boss, the harder it's going to be for them to receive, the more private it should be. And then the last thing is this, cheer other people on if you're in the second seat, if you're not the boss, one of the best ways you can lead is by cheering other people on. Cheer on your coworkers. Uh, cheer on, maybe in some capacities, your your competitors. Uh, but be the first clappers. Be the very first one to tell them, great job. Um, don't do it reluctantly, but lead the way in that. Uh, and it's amazing how morale will be able to begin to shift. Um, one of the ways we can do that is by stop, stopping comparison. Um, and I know especially in a corporate setting, it's easy to go, Man, they got that promotion. They didn't deserve it. I've worked longer hours. You know, why? We're comparing. And so if we'll stop comparing, it'll make it easier to cheer people on. But if we cheer people on, it'll also help it be easier for us to stop comparing as well. Um, So if we'll stop comparing and start helping, it's amazing how easy it is to cheer people on. Um, And here's my final kind of encouragement for you. Lead wherever you are in the flow chart uh, and allow your development to promote you. Um, As you develop personally, uh, I believe that's going to help promote you. So many times we want to use politics or relationships to help us be promoted, but grow yourself, grow your leadership where you are, and um, and let's just see what, what happens when you do that because I think promotions will follow. So covered a lot of ground there. It is 729 according to my clock. Uh, talked a lot about it, about a lot of different things. I'd love to for us to jump into some of that together and for us to uh, – just have a conversation, those of us here in the room. And, and are we gonna are you do you have the capacity to take questions online, Michael? Yes. Okay. Michael is waiting. He's standing by for those of you watching online live right now to ask some questions. So we'd love to answer those and talk through those as well. So any questions or comments or and I will say too, before we jump in, it is great to have Bob Santos back with us at Leadership Night tonight. It's been a while and you've moved to the great the great state of Virginia, and uh, it's good to have you back. We miss you. Questions, comments, thoughts, pushback. Yeah, come on, Bob.
2: Your boss really is after you. I'm
1: he could right. be. She could be really after you. Might hate your guts. That, that could be the case. Um, and there's not much you can do about that other than, you know, be as faithful as you can be to your job and cause as little problem as you can when you leave your job. That's probably the best advice I could give, um, and there's been a few times that in hindsight, I'm like, maybe my boss really did hate my guts, and if you know me, you know why he might hate my guts, I guess, but uh that that's a distinct possibility. <laughs> Does your boss hate your guts, Bob? Okay, good, good.
3: What else? As a boss? what are some specific things that you love not having to think about because your staff are taking care of it? That's a great question. What are some things say that ask the question one more time. So as a boss, what are some specific things you love not having to think about because your staff is taking care of it? Um, There's a lot of
1: detail stuff that um, I'm happy not to have anything to do with. Um, And for the most part, a lot of our staff won't ask me about that stuff, and I would, rather not, I would rather not know about something and then have to come back later and go, hey, tell me about that. Like, I heard about this, and okay, well, we were a little off, we need to correct it. I would rather do that occasionally and let them do a whole bunch of stuff that I have no idea about than micromanage everything, because that's the worst. Nothing gets accomplished when everything bottlenecks with me. So I would rather be unhappy with some decisions from time to time and no less. So a lot of the detail stuff, I just try to delegate. And, and you've probably heard me say this before. For, for us, um, and even for our staff, I want to push as many decisions down the flowchart as possible. Um, I, want, I don't want all the decisions pushed up. I want them pushed down. Because if they're pushed down, we're empowering people, our staff, we're empowering our dream team, we're empowering leaders. Um, and ultimately, we're going to get more done that way. And yes, I'm definitely gonna be unhappy with some things that happen because it's not exactly what I would do. But that's one of the consequences for getting stuff done, in my opinion. That's a good question. Sean, did you have a question? No, I was just gonna to add to that. Just, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just gonna to add to that and say, uh, one of the things I look for is things that are repetitive. Mm-hmm. Right, so you know, if, it, if I need to help answer it or you know, the, the leader of the organization has to ha- be involved once or twice, but after that, if it's repetitive, it mm-hmm. should become automatic. Yeah yeah I think that's a good standard. It's good. And some of that just comes with time too um, just knowing your habits and routines and the things you'll want to speak into and the things you don't and and so some of that again from the uh, from an employee's perspective, um, just figuring out what your supervisor wants to know about and wants to be read in on and the things they do not care about. Like, just understanding that and seeing that is important.
2: As a boss, how do you handle change in direction or maybe not sp- specifically vision, but any type of big changes to the company or to the platform
1: that you're working for or under? I think, um, for me, over-communication. Um, it's not over-communication, but it feels like it. I would just communicate and communicate communicate. Because um, even... I was talking to somebody today and they were talking about an organization where there was a disconnect between the senior leader and the people further down and the disconnect was a thousand percent communication. Uh, there just wasn't commu- good communication happening between, hey, why are we making these decisions we're making? Like the boss understood it, but the people further down the flowchart had no clue at all. Even though I know the boss and I know he's communicated it, he just hasn't done it in a way that is like, gotten to the water of their culture, if that makes sense. And so I just feel like over and over and over, we communicate, we communicate, we communicate, and especially in seasons of change. Um, when there's relative calm, it's easy just to go, hey, we're just doing what we've always done, right? Um, but especially in seasons of change, I think it's important to communicate. Like, and sometimes the communication is just, we're going to be okay. We're fine don't worry. Uh, It's like, uh, this is one of the reasons I like Southwest because they do a good job of communicating when you're on the plane with them and sometimes their communication is just, hey, we still don't have any information. I just wanted to let you know but I still would rather hear that than have them say, hey everybody, this is your pilot. Uh, We'll let you know something here shortly and then, Two hours later, you're like, what in the world, right? It's just that lack of communication. And so sometimes the communication is just, I still don't know what we're doing, but I want you to know I'm on top of it. Like even sometimes that communication is enough for people to go, okay, at least we know. So does that make sense? Yep, there's a dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Good question, Brandon. What else? And any of you guys can chime in on any of these questions too. I don't have to... I don't have to dominate this.
4: One of the things you touched on was, if you're not a leader yet, your attitude toward your leader or toward your boss. Mm -hmm. And uh, like a lot of times I think back to the threshold of going over from being staff member to to manager. Mm -hmm. and um, If you're complaining about your boss, that doesn't really make you all that special. Pretty much as soon as leadership appeared in the Bible, people started complaining about leaders, and you can find plenty of people to talk to about your complaints, and they will stoke that fire in you endlessly. Mm -hmm. But um, like controlling your attitude and your heart towards your boss, a great book for that is um, "Honors Reward." Oh yeah, by John. John Bevere. Yeah, it's great book. Like if you're not a leader yet, like you need to listen to that because it really paints a picture Mm -hmm. of how to approach people above you how to how to have an attitude towards the people you work with how to have an attitude towards the people below you because you need to have a heart for that person you want you need to want them to do well not just be critical of what you think they should be doing
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, I love that book by the way it really is a fantastic book um, and it was good for me, even in a like a senior leader position, to understand that, hey, honor doesn't just flow to me because I'm the boss. Honor should be flowing from me as the boss, right? I should be honoring the people that are below me on the flow chart, the people that are beside me in the journey in life, and then the people that, that are overseers for me in my life. I, like, honor should be something that goes all around. Um, and and God calls us to honor because it's good for our hearts to honor. Um, So we honor positions, even if the person is not necessarily honorable in and of themselves, because it does something amazing in our hearts and it honors God when we do that. And this is why I get so frustrated with, oh gosh, I don't even know if I should go here. But like Christians who are so openly, vehemently against uh, like President Biden. Um, And it's because I'm like, hey, we're called to honor the position, even if you don't like the person. And rooting for him to fail is like getting on a plane and being like, oh, I hate this pilot. I hope he does terrible today. It's like, we will all die in this plane crash, right? Like once you get on the plane, you want that pilot to do great all the way, right? And so for me, it's like, man, I'm going to honor. I'm going to honor leadership and authority if I can. Um, You know, within my power, I'm going to honor political, local, all that stuff. I think it's important. You didn't mean for me to get into politics, but I did. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, honors reward by John Bevere is excellent. And some of you might know uh, Lisa Bevere was with us for She Is a couple years ago. It's her husband, um, and they do wonderful work. It's good.
3: You spoke about choosing to believe the best in people. How do you do that
1: and also prevent being taken advantage of? Um, I mean, here's another biblical principle. Jesus talks about being as wise as serpent and as as harmless as a lamb, right? like so I think there's this um we choose to believe the best, but we also understand people's capacity for the worst as well, you know, so we choose to love and we choose. Oh, we, we honor first and we trust first. So we default to trust and people earn mistrust instead of vice versa. I think that's what we have to do. Like train our hearts to do that. And then when, when they've earned mistrust, then we go, okay, I'm still going to love you and I'm still going to do my best to honor you, but I'm not going to trust you. You know, I'm not going to let you burn me. I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? I think that's easy to do and become a doormat. It's good. Yeah, Sean. I I think it goes back to like the one minute manager kind of principles where mm-hmm. you're just uh able to have that those direct conversations. And uh so one of the things that I try to do really is have, have two types of relationships with people, one that, where I can be direct and not necessarily worry about their feelings and one where I'm getting to know them as a person mm-hmm. and about their families and their situations. Um, and I can say, like, this is going to be a direct conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worked pretty well for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the problem is sometimes we want people to like us more than we want to lead them. And so we just are their friend and we won't have the hard conversation. Mm. And it just gets messy and gets weird and yeah that's good good feedback is it true that when you
3: become the boss people stop acknowledging the good things that you do and if that's true or they maybe that it's reduced like Mm -hmm. maybe they think that being the boss is reward enough yeah that they just are like well i don't need to praise or congratulate him for what he's doing because he's the boss so that should be enough Um, Is that true? If that's true, is there wisdom from an employee perspective to watching your boss and congratulating or praising him when you see him doing things
1: that you actually appreciate? Yeah, this sounds super needy for me to say it in my position, but I had, um, um, there's a great leadership podcast called Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, and he's been with us several times, and Dr. Brooks, is uh, he really is an excellent leader. Uh, He produces so much content too. It's crazy. But, um, almost every time I would talk to that guy, he would tell me, Mel, you're doing a great job. Mel, I watched you, you know, you did this, you preached this sermon. I watched it and you did so well. Hey. And he would say, he would say this phrase, he would say, um, you're making heaven bigger and the kingdom better. Thank you for what you're doing. Mel, you're doing a great job. Every single time we would talk. And finally, one time I was like, Hey, Dr. Brooks, thank you so much. Like, but you don't have to do that for me. I appreciate the encouragement, but you don't need to do that for me. And he rebuked me. He just said, yes, I do. And he said, I'm going to keep doing it and you need to hear it. Because he said, Mel, the higher you go in leadership, people think the less encouragement you need. But he said, it's just the opposite. The higher you go in leadership, the more encouragement you need. And I was like, oh man, that's exactly right. Like same thing. I just think oh, this person's a high-level leader. They don't need me to tell them good job, right? Um, Because somehow praise is supposed to come from the top down. It's not supposed to come from the bottom up. But um, I just realized, man, that's true in my life. I need people to say, man, you're doing great. Hey, well done. And the truth is we hear that a lot, but we just don't remember it because we only remember the bad stuff, right? We remember the hate mail. We remember the person who's gossiping after the meeting. We remember, we remember all that stuff. Um, but I would, yeah, I would strongly encourage you guys, like when you see your boss doing something well, tell them and you don't have to be a sycophant or a suck up, but Hey man, you, you led really well through that change. I just want, I just want you to know I'm, I'm proud of you. You did a great job. Like that'll go a long way with your supervisor, with your boss. Yeah, and I, that sounded super needy. All my staff are like crud. I've got, hey Mel, Mel, good job on leadership night. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> what else? Bob, Between Bob and Michael, we're going to keep them coming tonight. Bob's making up for lost time.
2: So you mentioned shutting down the comparisons. And yeah. the example you gave was one that my 23-year-old self actually lived through where I worked my tail off uh-huh. and did really good work and other people didn't and they got promoted and they got favored and all of that. What advice would you give for shutting down the comparisons? How do you practically help yourself to
1: do that? I think, uh, and I want to hear some of your responses to this too, because I'm not going to corner the market on this for sure. Uh, I think one of the things is what we talked about, like believing the best instead of the worst. So, hey, I'm believing that that person got the promotion because they did work that I didn't see that they did, or that they, there was some aspect of what they did that was that was a difference maker. Uh, I'm believing that my supervisor gave them the promotion because, you know, all the right things instead of the wrong things. Well, they don't like me, they're out to get me, they're trying to get rid of me, but they don't want to fire, you know, all that kind of self-talk that we do. I think that would be something I would definitely do. Um, And the fact, this is really more about our hearts, right? Like making sure I steward my heart well. And that doesn't, I can do that and still leave a company right? Like I don't have to be, I don't have to work at this company the rest of my life. So I can, if I have been wronged legitimately, I can guard my heart, which is biblically, that's the right thing for us to do. Guard our heart, make sure we don't grow bitterness, anger, all that kind of stuff. That my heart is right. And I can still make a decision to go, but you know what? I'm gonna to choose to find employment elsewhere. And I think those are probably a couple of things that I would do, make sure you guard your heart and then if you've legitimately been wronged or if you're, like you said earlier, your boss actually hates your guts, then start looking for gainful employment from somebody else. So what else, what do you guys think? What do you do if, how do you, how do you practically guard your heart when you get shafted at work?
2: Focusing on the vision, right? yeah the,
1: the company vision
2: I kind of I dealt with that for six years um, uh, struggled with uh, a company that hired based on nepotism, favoritism, and not based on skill or, or what somebody was capable of doing in that field and um, you know one of the things that got me through it being a, a Christian and everything was I just kept my head down. I think yeah. in a way I was guarding my heart and I didn't know it mm-hmm. but I just I just stayed focused on the vision and I think if I would have s- chose to stay there longer, better things would have, uh, or I would have had a better outcome, yeah. um, than choosing to leave anyway. Yeah.
0: Like, uh, I think, you know, as, as followers of Christ, I think it's always important for us to to recognize that God is sovereign and mm-hmm. that he's, you know, he's over, he's in control of everything. Uh, I'm not a fan of when people say everything happens for a reason because yeah, sometimes it happened because you did something stupid, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Absolutely. you know, sometimes that's the reason. And so I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of saying that in a cavalier way to kind of yeah. just dismiss whatever decisions I might have made or whatever. <laughs> but uh, in a case like that, it is important for us to remember that God's in control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, that's one thing. And then the second thing, I, this is something I think about quite a bit. Uh, when Frank Reich was with us a little while back, former coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich, uh, when he was with us a couple of years ago, he said uh, one of the things that helped him when he was the backup quarterback to um, Jim, Kelly. Jim Kelly for so many years uh, was that he his father had taught him to value contribution over credit. Hmm. Yeah, that's and, good. Yeah, and so he said, I continued to focus on my contribution to the team rather than focusing on whether or not i was getting
1: credit yeah and so i think that's a that's a helpful thing as well that's really good yeah i didn't even know he got fired i was watching the steelers colts game because i i watch football so infrequently honestly i'm not that big a sports fan that i was watching the game and i'm like wait a second where's frank reich and they're like referred to the interim head coach and i was like oh and i googled it and i was like oh that dude got fired all right there you
3: go i think there's some value too and and building the right alliances. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds shady to do that. Yeah, back. what do you mean by that?
1: That sounds like um,
3: that sounds like Survivor. Yeah, right? well, yeah. yeah. I, there's a reason it works on Survivor though. Um, and I think that that's deeper than the actual rules of the game of Survivor. Um, so for instance, if you build the right alliances with the right people in your workplace, you can actually gain credibility from someone else's credibility. So yeah. you get yeah, close you to someone cr- who's very credible, right? Yeah. 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 And then that person stands up for you or sticks up for you. I, th- I just think it's a lot harder to succeed anywhere whenever you're off by yourself all the time yeah. or whenever you're just, you have to defend yourself all the time. Well, I think it's helpful to have that.
1: Well, and I think being the right kind of employee will att- be attractive to other people right kind of employees, right? Like there's <laughs> birds of a feather flock together kind of thing. Um, and, and so this is one of the things, I mean, gosh, every parent has told their kids, like, be careful who you hang out with because you show me your friends, I'll show you your future, those kind of things. But it's 100% true, right? Even in the workplace. Um, if if you want to be considered a gossip, go hang out with the gossips. Um, I promise people start to think you're a gossip, whether you are or not. And so, yeah, there's something true about that um that hey we we like attracts like right so yeah so if if there are people in your company that you're like man they do a great job i want to be like them when i grow up go hang out with them go ask them if you can sit with them at lunch go you know pick their brains yeah it's good 749. We don't have to go to eight, but I'm I'm just saying we can if you're done with questions. No online questions tonight? None yet.
3: Okay. Uh, You spoke about being responsible for the way that you respond to things that you can't control. Um, Is it true that defaulting to calm is the best mode of being whenever you don't know how to respond? And is there risk of being run over
1: if you always default to calm? Um. Probably calm is the best way to respond. It's best default response. Um, I've never had problems responding calmly to people, um, but I've had problems responding other ways. Um, and sometimes, <laughs> I'm gonna sound crazy when I say this, but my daughters, like when they've when they're in trouble, and I'm calm, it's worse for them. If that makes sense, does that make sense? Like they get more unnerved when they've done something and I'm like, maybe we're gonna talk about this. They're like, oh my gosh, like, oh, you know, like they start getting nervous. And so I feel like in some ways, um, it's like a power move too, right? It's like, hey, I'm not gonna let you, I'm not gonna let you manipulate my response. Like I'm in control of the situation. And so I think there's even something like that to it, if that makes sense. So yeah, I would probably... There probably are some situations where it's better to like sweep everything off the desk and you know, maybe, but yeah, for me, probably calm is the best response. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Counter point of view? Aaron, Aaron swept everything off the desk one time, I guess. I'm looking forward to the story.
4: I don't necessarily have a counterpoint of view, but if your default reaction is calm when you're suddenly not calm, you get a lot of I mean, if you're if you're angry all the time, yeah. it really has no effect. Yeah. But um and there there are maybe times that you might need that, but you I think you just have to make sure it's not often and hardly if ever. Mm-hmm. But when yeah. you do, it's pretty effective if you're usually calm.
1: Yeah. I had a coach in high school that he had one volume, and it was loud, and he screamed at everybody all the time, and so it was just white noise, because that's all he did, was scream at everybody all the time, Um, but I had a, and I've told you about coach, coach uh, Brett Close was the best basketball coach, he was the best coach I ever had, but he was our basketball coach, and he was the guy that would, would scream and curse at one kid, and then he would pull another one aside and be like, hey buddy, you need to get better, you know? because he understood what they needed to hear. And that was way more effective than the guy that just (laughs) cursed us and our moms and all that kind of stuff all up and down. So I forget his name, or I would say it. That guy deserves some bad press. So, yeah, I agree with that. Anybody else? Michael, he's got a list of questions. He'll keep asking them.
3: When you were stewarding your boss's vision, how much time did you spend trying to influence him to change it, Uh, or did you just focus
1: on advancing the vision as is? No, our situation was a little different. I mean, like, there wasn't a great deal of relationship between he and I, so there was no influencing him or talking to him or gaining his ear, there was none of that. So it was was 100% helping my team buy in. And it was really hard, too, because they weren't stupid. You know, like, it would be like, hey, guys, I'm so excited. We've got this new initiative we're starting. It's going to be great. It's going to be revolutionary. It's going to change everything. And three weeks later, literally, my, my pastor would be like, yeah, we're not doing any of that, that anymore. It's not working. And I'd have to come back and be like, guys, I am so excited. We tried it. didn't work. We're moving forward. And it's like, there's only so much of that you can do before that everybody's like, oh okay whatever um and so you know they're smart they they could see that they knew isn't there a point where you
3: feel like helping a vision that you fundamentally disagree with is like helping someone be more efficient
1: at destruction no? <laughs> yeah yes yeah that is a that's a rough way of putting it but yes in some ways um but when it comes to like the church you can have you can have a divided vision but it's still ultimately about the kingdom. We're still seeing people saved. We're still right, and so I could say, "Man, I would do it dramatically different, or I would lead different, or I would not communicate this," and still come back to the vision and go, "But, man, we're seeing people changed every week, and you know, and that's where you, what my default has to be in that situation." Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes. Yeah. In business environment, sales environment is probably going to look a little different. But, and that's hard too, because if you're a good salesperson and it's a horrible environment and you're profiting from this, there's not a lot of incentive to change the culture because you are literally personally profiting from it. So it's just, it gets, it gets messy. Anybody else? I'm surprised nobody online has said anything. Like uh, like Linda Hall, usually, come on, Linda. My mom, I know my mom is watching from Oklahoma. Mom, I need you to throw out a question of some kind for me, so it's all right.
3: All right. Wait, wait, we might have one.
1: <laughs> yeah, just came in. Who was uh, it?
3: Matt Ingwerson. Okay. Asks, uh, What's up, Matt what's the best way, I actually didn't read this before I'm reading it to you, so here we go. What's the best way to discuss and confront an untruth or a financial dishonor from leadership regarding compensation when you
1: are a subordinate? That's what we're going to be covering next month, at leadership night. Um, Honestly and directly and as as honoring as possible. um, I think you have to, because if you don't, if they told you you're going to get x amount raise and you didn't actually get that amount of raise you have to have a conversation and say hey help me understand this you said and this is what i I feel like this is what you said help me understand the discrepancy here i did something happen did something come up and i would address it like that and um yeah depending on what you're depending on what the field is man there are so many opportunities for job seekers right now um that it is uh, it behooves in an organization to work to keep their people well and so I feel like um, he's probably in the driver's seat when it comes to that if he has legitimate grievance so do you think that those kinds
3: of shifts from a boss's perspective or if, when a boss does them are ever justifiable by grander circumstances that are happening like around the company shifts like 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 if if you get hired on and the boss tells the person, hey, in three years, you're going to be here and this is what you're going to be doing. You're going to be doing great. And then a pandemic happens. Yeah,
1: I think there are circumstances where it's justifiable, but there are no circumstances where a lack of communication is justifiable. So there are circumstances by which maybe you make a promise Um, and you should never do that, by the way. You should always say, hey, this is what I would like to do. This would be my intention, but I can't make any promises. But if you did, if you made the promise and said, hey, in three years, we're going to get you in this position, we're going to pay you this much, and you can't do it, as early as you possibly can, you communicate that and say, this was my intention, and I I messed it up. I'm sorry. I thought we could and we couldn't, but I'm still going to do my best to take care of you, you know, so you have to communicate it well. So yes, there are circumstances under which I think that's justifiable, but there, are, you can do that and still handle it with class and with dignity and honor the person, and you know you don't just ghost them and go, oh, the, your paycheck's not as much, huh? Well, accounting, oh, those guys, I can't believe, right? So, hmm. well, I hope you get the pay raise, by the way. All right. We got two minutes till. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray over you. We'll close out our time. And then um, you guys feel free to hang out, visit a little bit if you'd like. Um, I want to encourage those of you in the room, especially make sure you connect with somebody else in the room. Uh, There are some great leaders in this space. Uh, There's a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge here. So connect with somebody you don't know. Uh, Maybe exchange phone numbers and make sure that you're... connecting with people that you can be on this leadership journey with. And uh, for those of you watching online or listening to the podcast, we're so grateful that you've taken time. Let me pray for you as we close out. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to uh, grow our leadership. And I pray that each of us tonight would have at least gotten one thing that's gonna help us um, be more practical in our leadership, stretch our leadership, and help us to lead better. And God, I pray that it would be uh, for your glory. I pray that as we lead better, that it's going to benefit our companies, our organizations, our departments. It's going to benefit us, but God, it's going to benefit the people we're leading as well. So God, help us to lead better so that you can be glorified. Have your way with us. I pray you bless us as we leave, and I pray that uh, this week would be a great week for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have an awesome week. We'll see you soon.